0: There she is. All right. Hold on, audience. I'm going to give you the intro. Alvin Lee and 10 years after for kicking us off again on one of our daily get-togethers. This one's being the Friday edition. That usually means almost always, with very few exceptions, means Mr. Brent Winters is the official quote-unquote co-host and I usually just throw him the ball and let him dribble, you know, because he dribbles so well and uh, shoots pretty good, too, I noticed. A lot of net when he's got the ball and uh, so it's one of those days and Roger Sales, of course, your uh, usual host and Guide and a teacher and a phone screener, technical guy, engineer, all those things. I do some of them better than others. And uh, it is the Radio Ranch, name of our program. We get together and we're on the Pete people's people's patriot network and we're broadcasting exclusively now on Eurofolk radio and happy to be over there and want to thank eli and paul for allowing us to switch over to the other foot there on eli's uh, usual platform and we got a good group of folks with us to start as we almost always do on fridays Just without a doubt with the audience it seems to be the most popular show of the week and uh brent that all falls right on your shoulders in the message you bring us, and we talk all week about how we've been fooled, enslaved, how to get out of it, the nuances of their plan, how deceptive and sneaky they are, and all that, and then on Friday, Brent can tie that back to spiritual-based for all of us, okay? And that's why it's so important that the day's important because it's Friday. we got a weekend in front of us. you got extra time to think and noodle, and maybe some of these things we discuss on Fridays will resonate with you to the point where you ruminate on them a little bit over the weekend. So welcome back, Brent, on a Friday. I did want to say as we get started, and I didn't realize it until last night, today, the 4th of June, June's pretty, June uh, next week is D-Day. What was it, June 7th? Sixth. Sixth, June 6th, pretty close. Yeah. Uh, and today's yeah. the 4th. Well, you know what? Today is the uh, commemorates.
1: What? What when, is it, brother?
0: When that Chinese army bunch shot about 10,000-plus students that were protesting over there in Tiananmen Square that Whoa. the communist Chinese government has effectively thrown down the memory hole okay and that mm-hmm. there 's a big deal with them, this Tiananmen Square thing, and so uh, that 's commemorated today today it was on on the fourth of uh, June of uh, uh, many decades ago, but the memory lingers and it still stings, and a lot of people refuse to forget it and uh, we need to uh, help them not forget it and to rub these Chinese communists blood sucking Whatever they are, non-human satanists, rub their nose in it a little bit. They can't stand to to lose face. Isn't that interesting? No,
1: I, yeah, yeah. That's their big deal in the Orient is uh, respect. Of course, if you the problem with that is, of course, that without God and His Christ, no man has any dignity at all. Zip, zilch. That's not mentioned, but it's abundantly apparent when you look around. And even with the maker of all things and his Christ, man's dignity is dubious. In other words, most men, it's been my observation, most men don't have a clue, don't have a clue how to appropriate it. There is no dignity in man outside of our God and his Christ. There is no such thing as human dignity for the sake of human dignity. It doesn't exist. Human rights do not exist. Everything that a man has, this should be obvious, if you just, (laughs) well, I I shouldn't say this. It's not true. I almost said, if you just stop and think about it. No, no, that's not true. And the reason that's not true is because most men are blinded. And the reason they're blinded is because God has blinded them as the Bible says point blank. So the but the problem still remains. There is no dignity among men or with any man without that's why the declaration of 76 starts by acknowledging that we are endowed by our maker with certain inalienable unalienable unalienable It doesn't make a difference how you cut it. You slice it, it's always the same thing. It means you can't be separated from it. You can't be separated from it. You can't separate yourself from from the responsibilities God has given you. That doesn't explain everything, but it states the fact of the matter. And the older I get, the more I'm up on the fact of the matter. talked to a fella two days ago, three now, in um, eastern, southeastern Missouri, no, it's near Missouri, but it's in Kansas. Thousand acres. He's on a thousand acres, and he raises cattle. He lives in an old house built in the 1870s or 80s. One of those old two-story frame houses, farmhouse, painted white, weatherboarding, and uh, tall, because back in those days uh, heat went up. They knew that. We don't know that anymore. Heat went up, so they put the stove on the first floor and have vents that went up to the second floor so the heat would go up above the stove and then tall windows because they didn't have electricity. Couldn't turn on the lights. You'll notice all the these newer houses. By the time we get to the 20s, 30s, 40s, even into the 60s, houses became low with little tiny windows. Mm-hmm. We said, oh, we've got electric lights now. How mm-hmm. wonderful. No, mm-hmm. oh, that's not wonderful. That's hard on your eyes. But he lived there and he um, got to talking to me about the property there, the land, and what he could grow on it, and the fescue hay and the clover, some clover, not much. And uh, then I, he referred me to another fellow. Well, I forget how this happened, but here's what happened. As I got in the car and left, I had to go back and think about this. I got to talking to an Amishman. Now, that's what they say, Amish. I always said Amish, but the Amish say Amish, a lot of them. He was an Amishman, and he sells... Real ice cream, Roger. I mean, the kind you make a real. He make he milks cows, has real cream, and he makes ice cream and sells it all over the country. And uh, he sells, of course, does his own butchering, sells meat that's chemical free. It's not soaked in citric acid. It has the bacteria on it that don't hurt you and probably good for you. And people are buying his stuff like gangbusters. But I got to talking to him because the government's coming down on him on the interstate commerce clause selling across state lines and I said well I said it comes down you know there was another Amish man named Yoder his name was Yoder and he lived up in Wisconsin back in the late 60s early 70s and the state of Wisconsin came to him and said you got to send that boy here to school after he gets out of the 8th grade and he said well no I don't have to and beyond that I'm not going to well he said well if you don't do it we're going to put you in jail how would you like that and he said I wouldn't like that very much but he said I'm still not going to do it I don't care what you do to me I'm not sending my boy to school after the 8th grade well it went through the Wisconsin courts they won wound up in the Supreme Court of the United States because it's a first amendment question freedom of religion freedom of religion, which is a species of freedom of association, by the way. We well, got to the Supreme Court, and the judge even said to him down in Wisconsin, I don't want to... I think his name was Jonas, Jonas Yoder. I don't want to throw you in jail, Jonas, daggummit. Why don't you just try to go along and prove that you're educating your child? He said, I don't have to, and I'm not going to. I don't care what you do to me. Well, the Supreme Court of the United States ended up agreeing with Jonas and not with the state of Wisconsin. And they said, you don't have to send your boy to school, but there's a reason. And it's a very important reason. What is it? Freedom of religion. And the court went on to delineate. The Supreme Court of the United States did an excellent job to delineate. Expound, unpack what, who, who qualifies for freedom of religion under the First Amendment religion clauses. Who qualifies for that protection of government? And the court said that only people who have a conviction Mm. are qualified. Mm. Only those that have a conviction. Those that have a preference don't qualify. Well, I prefer this religion over that one. Or I prefer to do this and not that. I prefer to homeschool my children, which is what essentially he was doing. I prefer to do that instead of sending my children to school. Well, we're going to throw you in jail. Well, I... I still am going to not send my children to school. Well, we're going to throw your wife and kids in jail. Well, if you're going to do that, I'll send him to school. Well, see, that's not a conviction. That's a preference. Right. And a preference can be exceedingly strong, said the court. Exceedingly strong. It can go on for years. It can have all the looks of a conviction, said the court. But if a case comes to the courts, in order to have First Amendment protection of government... You're going to have to show us, if there's a question, you're going to have to show us that you have a conviction. There has to be something in the record, something in your life that you brought into evidence that shows no matter what, no matter what, you won't change. There's some things in life, there's some things in life I'll change. There's some hills I won't die on. I'll say I'd rather do this, but if you're going to be that way about it, I'll do that. But there are those hills every one of us ought to have that we should be willing to die on, and we better be careful, real careful. About choosing which hill it is, which hill is it you're willing to die on? Well, when you made that decision, you may change in your life too as you go along, as you learn more to decide what is more important and what isn't. But that's what Jonas did, and I said I see an analogy here to that Amishman and and you, uh this other Amishman, the one I'm talking to. He said, "What is it?" I said, "Well, looks to me like." Uh, this could be a religious conviction with you. I mean, everything you do is a religious conviction or everything you do. I said, is a matter of religion, isn't it? He said, yeah, I said, right down to how many buttons you put on your britches, isn't it? Yeah. Cause I've lived around Amishmen, I know how they are about the buttons on the bridge, britches. I've known some sects of Amishmen that won't even allow buttons on the breeches. britches. They, uh, require safety pins buttons are too fancy and draw too much attention and have too much style so they use safety pins. <laughs> but gotta, this way
0: you, you got to be real careful b- 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 pinning yourself up though
1: you make good point roger real good point and i'm glad you brought that up that's getting right down to where the river meets the road or the pin meets the skin or put whatever it that even yeah <laughs> well i said i see a, a <laughs> analogy here i said why do you why do you want to uh Butcher meat on your own place and not be trying to get the FDA to license you. He said, because I want if I can't do that, I won't make any money. And people won't buy my stuff. And I want my boys and girls to stay here on the farm. I said, how many acres you got? He told me. He said, I want them to stay. I said, why do you want them to stay? He said, well, I want them to stay on the farm because the Bible says we're supposed to dominate the land. And I only got a small parcel here, but I want to dominate it. And I want my children to. And if they want to go get more, they can maybe get more. But right now, I want to show them how to make money on this land. I said, well, what are you, some kind of a dominionist? Do you think that the Bible says that the race of Adam is supposed to dominate the land? He said, yes. I said, well, it sounds to me like this whole thing revolves around the First Amendment. And if it revolves around the First Amendment, you've got a strong case of just using uh, yoder wisconsin versus yoder which is an old case i believe it's from 19 and 74 okay but that case said more specifically that parents hold the primary responsibility for directing the education of their children not the state parents that's that's a phenomenal statement parents hold the primary responsibility for the direction of the education of their children if that's true then the public education system has no claim on anything or anybody. And by the way, that is true. They never have had in America as a matter of law, not to mention a matter of reality, and they still don't. But they'll tell you otherwise. I remember back when I was trying to direct the education and training of my children, uh, I kept them at home. I told them, and I still believe this to be true, it'd be better that you couldn't even read and write than you go to those schools They'll teach you that sodomy is okay and transvestitism is okay and communism is okay, and the Bible's not okay. Well, how serious can it get? Well, they did not learn how to read and write. That wasn't a problem, but I'm making the point: miseducation is more dangerous is more dangerous than having an education. If that's the only education you can get, you don't want it it will destroy you, destroy your mind. You know, people say education is the answer. No, education isn't the answer. The answer is the right education. Correct. It's hard yeah, hard to get. Uh, miseducation, I had a PhD professor tell me this when I was in politics, running for office, he called me. He was in one of these teacher's colleges, these uh, normal schools, they called them, they invented in uh, pagan in Germany. When I say pagan Germany, you know, there are about seven or eight dead Germans that control most everything we do, along with a couple of Frenchmen. People like Hegel, Nietzsche, people like that. And there's a few others, by the way. Those are the well-known ones. They control the way we think because they've dominated the universities. And uh, along with Rousseau, Rousseau, a man who never got an education. He had five children of the woman who kept him up all his life. He never made any money. And He started writing and he controls the education system in America, Rousseau. Jean Jacques Rousseau. Doesn't know his butt from a seventeen dollar sunbonnet about anything. Never did. He controls things too, but you're better off. You're better off just keeping them with you. Well that was that was Jonas Yoder's if I've got his name right. I think it was Jonas Yoder's idea. And that was fundamental to his understanding. His understanding of his religion and the understanding of his religion, according to this Amishman I talked to yesterday, was that we are to dominate the land. That's the most fundamental task that God gave to the race of Adam. So here we are. And what are we doing about it? I notice in America, it's hard to find a piece of property that if any in, in, in most places, the price isn't jacked up double or triple if it's outside of town. The greatest thing that it, the devil is an idiot, of course. He's a smart idiot, but a lot of smart idiots in this world, a lot of educated idiots, ever learning, as the Bible says, as Paul says, ever learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. truth. Never. He said never. Why did he say never? Because God hasn't opened their eyes, and until he opens them, it won't make any difference how much education they get. That's the other problem. That's the other problem. So, if you're wishing, if you were wishing you were one of those persons that God would open his eyes... Or her eyes, then you are the elect. Is that what you wish? Well, you're the elect. He's given you the will to want that. How deep a will is it? How far will you go with it? Will you take it? Will you sprout roots? Will you shoot up through the surface of the soil? Will the sun burn you out? That's the question. Because if you are God's elect, then you will want what He wants you to want and you will persevere to the end. That's what the Bible teaches. And you will want to dominate the land. That's what you want to do. However, you do it. I told my children, whatever you do in life, try to figure out how what you're doing contributes to the domination of the land. I have a couple of boys in their maritime town kind of fellows. They're, they're not sailors anymore because we don't have sailing ships, but they steam on these freighters. And I said, does that contribute to the domination of the land being out in the middle of the ocean? And the answer is yes. Without maritime trade, the economy here would be pretty flat. And if the economy here is flat, there is no demand for other products, and all products come from the land. All products that are sold come from the land. And to, de- to create a, um, a market for products is to contribute to the ambition of those that are right down there next to the ground producing minerals and agricultural products. It all goes together very well. If we see the big picture, Roger, I guess that's what I'm driving at, the big picture. What is it that makes America wealthy? What is it that has made America the most powerful engine of wealth that the world has ever seen or known? What What is it that makes America the only country in the world where in general we've had all we wanted to eat never has been a country in the world that's had all, it's wanted to, all it wanted to eat? Talk to a fellow who is a German prisoner of war. I haven't seen him in many years, well, about 10 years, I figure he's gone now, he was taken prisoner, the Americans took him prisoner in Italy, he was in a panzer division as a 19-year-old boy, they shipped him to England, and I said, um, oh, how'd you do in England, he said, well, about starved to death, I said, did that make you fellas mad, he said, no, it didn't make us mad, I said, why not, he said, because we could see the guards, the English guards, and we could see the British people through the wire, and they were as skinny as we were. They didn't have anything to eat either. Mm-hmm. They were down to two eggs a day ration, the way I remember reading. Or two eggs a day for breakfast, they had other things to eat, but they didn't have much. So then they shipped him to America, sent him to Nebraska to a prison camp out there. Of course, Nebraska was settled by Germanic people. Germans, a lot of Germans settled in Nebraska after after this the war between the states. And they advertised in Germany, the railroads did, put up big posters, said, come to America. They needed markets, see. They needed somebody to farm that land so those railroads would have, could make money shipping agricultural products. Well, the Germans came there en masse, and they sent him there. He was in a prison camp, and they put him out every day to go work for this German farmer. And this German farmer spoke German. Well, he was of German descent. He was probably second, third generation. And he worked for this fella. He said they'd sit down, he'd get there early, they'd eat breakfast. He had milk and meat and eggs and bacon and cheese and bread. And then noontime, same thing the Germans know how to cook. They, they've got the French beat all the smithereens. I mean, all the French can do is tickle your taste buds. The Germans can satisfy your gut. They'll give you plenty of good food that'll give you steam and enable you to work. <laughs> and he said he got fat in prison camp in America, got fat. <laughs> He said if there's any, I said when this war is over he said he told himself I got to come back to this place I never knew there was a place like this on the face of the planet where you could eat all you want even in the middle of a war for crying out loud in prison camp well he eventually went to work for in Stuttgart Germany for a Mercedes-Benz he said he watched for an opening in the states he finally found one in Sacramento California He went to work for the dealership there, and then he started his own business. His son's got it now. He works on nothing but Mercedes, Mm -hmm. especially older ones. He Mm -hmm. likes to work on older ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's the story I had on my mind. You started talking. There's one more question I have, though, Roger, for you. A question I want to know. You said we were on Eurofolk Radio. And I enjoy very much, I know a couple of the personalities involved there, and I know who makes this platform available, and of course we appreciate all these fellas over on the other, one of them on the other side of the pond, but I didn't understand uh, before this show uh, where exactly we were. were, we well. were. Okay. We were we were streamed on Eurofroke Radio, right?
0: Okay, yes, we were. We were simulcast is the, the technical oh. word because okay. we were broadcasting on our own server, and we had our own little network, fledgling little network called the People's Patriot Network. But oh. I've been trying to get it going for, you know, almost the four years now, and well, uh, with no commercials and no we, we don't pay anybody or any of that stuff around here. And quite frankly, it's very difficult to find people who, A, want to get on and do a, a show, do it regular where you've got consistency, and make the commitment to be there all the time. You know, and I understand there's demands on people's lives and all the stresses and strains we're all going through, but myself and Jim Ram, and we had one or two other folks, and they did, you know, were involved for a while and dropped off, and then what really happened that was uh, precipitated this condition and situation we're in right now, Brent, is uh, another another software screw up on the software that is freeware which is somebody just wrote it and put it out there they don't update it you don't really have you know technical people if you have a problem and all that stuff necessarily and the software that ran it on people's patriot network with our server had a glitch about, I don't know, two months ago, something like that. And uh-huh. the problem with is that Paul has to sit down and go in meticulously and go through all that and try and find it, okay? And, yeah. and we're all busy. We're all trying to put our efforts, whatever we can, towards this battle that we're in. A full It's a full-spectrum battle, it appears. And so he just switched us over to Eurofolk, which we were simulcasting on anyway. But uh-huh. now we're kind of doing it – all, all the time, because there is no People's Patriot Network feed, and you know oh, honestly, it's, uh, it's, we've been talking about this and discussing it for a while behind the scenes, lightly, and. It's. It seems like it was a thing to me a while back. Let's combine these two because Eurofolk has the same problems we do, having people that make a commitment and all that stuff. And we, if we combine both of the two, we'll have enough to have a full schedule, you know. And and that's what I think we're probably working towards. I know Paul has got his fingers deep in another project right now. I'm not sure what that all is. Have an idea. We'll see where it goes. But for right now, we've got the outlet and been there. They've been simulcasting mind. Show for about gosh, I think maybe seven years.
2: Yeah,
1: no, Roger, I do remember People's Patriot Network because I listened to it in the morning a little bit. So I understand. I've, I've got it in my head what you're saying, but you're, but I didn't thought maybe there's something else, but. People's Patriot Network has now merged with Eurofolk Radio. In, in, in,
0: in essence, yeah, not yeah. officially or anything. They're not playing these re- – I don't think they're playing these replays over on Eurofolk. And I you know, I don't want to talk to Paul about that. But like I said, everybody's busy and distracted, and we've all got our set of circumstances in this crazy time we live in. Okay. Well,
1: so, um, Roger – Go ahead. Go ahead, Roger. Well,
0: I had a couple of things I wanted to launch into, but why don't you go ahead and let's button this up if you had something else that needed to be Oh,
1: out. just one more thing. I'll say this has to do with all this radio business and trying to get things going. I, people in Europe don't know what Cabela's is probably, but those of us in America know that Cabela's is a nationwide uh, ch- uh, chain where it's huge, and you can go in, and they got all sorts of guns and ammunition and clothing and tents and survival gear and
0: fishing and gear
1: Fish and, and they they merged with they did merge with bass pro oh fish okay for bass. okay Bass and again people in europe don't know what bass are probably but here in america bass are a big freshwater fish that in the, all the ponds the lakes and the creeks and that's what people like to fish for and eat well that's a huge deal. Well, I went into their one of their um, their outlets. And of course, these stores, as you know, are acres. They're huge.
0: Oh, they're monsters.
1: And, uh, oh, yeah. And uh, I saw at the front a little display about the people that founded it. Now, I'm applying this, for example, to radio and Eurofolk Radio. It had the progression of how the thing happened. It happened in in uh, started in uh, Wyoming. A man was selling fishing lures through a catalog. In 1961, and he sold those lures, and the, the, he was making them, you know, by hand, and it got bigger. and He asked his brother, I reckon his brother had the same name, asked him to help him. Well, he helped him. Then this man's wife started keeping track of their customers on little recipe cards. She had one of the little boxes she kept yeah. her recipe
2: right, in, right, right. and she,
1: she kept her. We she kept that uh, kept track that way. Well, they got pretty big, and so they rented. Or bought the old John Deere dealership in Sydney, Nebraska, that's out in the way out west, not far from Wyoming, in the Nebraska Panhandle on now Interstate eighty. They bought the old John Deere uh repair and service uh building, which was pretty big, and they started selling a few other things like uh guns and ammunition and whatnot. Along with the fish and lures. Well it went up here's here's what I noticed about it. it from nineteen sixty-one till nineteen ninety one, nothing changed much. They just had that store. And it was a going place, but it didn't there was no expansion for thirty years. And then in nineteen ninety one, things began to move and they opened up another store. And then in nineteen ninety-eight they went on the no, two thousand and four, they went on the New York Stock Exchange. They got that big. They had just three or four more stores, they got on the exchange, and then the explosion occurred. But what happens in these situations, and I've read about ADM, I've read about Staley's Indicator, the largest soybean and and corn uh, processing plant in the world. Those things got up, they got going, they were profitable. Then they went on for a few decades, just kind of level. And then all of a sudden, something happened, and they were the fellows that had everything in place and ready to do to meet the new need. And all of a sudden, the explosion occurred, and it was massive. And that's what's happened with Cabela, and that's what happens with everything. There has to be that. There doesn't have to be. Us don't suppose there are exceptions, but in most cases, that there's that just that waiting period when you're just doing your job and learning how to do it. And Brent, we listening. Go ahead,
0: Roger. There's a label for it, and there's a whole uh, verified idea behind it. Uh-huh. And that point that you're talking about is called uh-huh. critical mass. Critical
1: you, you, mass is a good word. I like okay. it. Right. Do you
0: do you understand that whole concept?
1: Oh I I I, I was in chemistry in high school.
0: I okay. Well, for the audience it may not. If you ever you can graph it, it's pretty easy. It's easy to see graphed, okay? So you take a graph with a sidebar and a bottom baseline, and if you start something, let's say Cabela's, and you go along on that baseline and over years and years and years, it may rise just a little bit, parallels it at first, rises just a little bit it keeps rising a little and keeps rising a little and when it gets over to the right side and all of a sudden you've got a base built and whatever the stimulus is to cause that reaction you go and it reaches a point called critical mass you know where the term comes from where the nuclear industry OK, oh, because what they and Harvey was talking about this the other day and I explained it a little bit better. What they do with a nuclear bomb, the early ones, was they actually put the, the fusionable or fissionable fusionable, I guess, material together, and then they put explosives around the outside. Uh-huh. And when the outside explosions go off, it forces the fusionable material into a tight ball and then it explodes. Uh So you get that point, and all of a sudden you get an explosion, and at that point on the line, instead of going parallel to the baseline, goes parallel to the sideline straight up, and it's called exponential growth. And that's what virtually every thing goes through that cycle that makes it that you're talking about right now and that's uh uh-huh. yeah. exactly
1: right. growth is a good word yeah i get what you're saying. in other words 2 goes to 4 right, goes right, to 8 right. goes to 16 right. goes to 32 goes to 64 go to 168, mm-hmm. and then it, it explodes
2: yep
0: well it gets yeah. to the point where you start even not just doubling you're tripling or quadrupling or or, or making yeah. it six or seven times every time you add another ingredient so but, that's uh, that's yep. really the wild time, and what I
1: was thinking that's about. What,
0: let me just finish this, yeah, break because it's important. Oh, that's what happens with synergistic reactions. Okay, yep. let's say you got two vectors, two different vectors coming together, <laughs> and they have a reaction. Well, you get a reaction exponent. Okay, whatever those two come together and form. well the problem not the problem the situation is the more vectors you add into an exponential synergistic reaction now you're getting exponential reactions so instead let's say if you put two together you may get an exponent of five okay but you put a third one in there and you may get 12 or 13 you put uh-huh. a fourth one in there; it may go up into the twenties. So it's not just a mathematical uh, uh, logarithmic type uh, progression. It's this synergistic exponential progression, and man, that's what we got going on right now. Okay.
1: Well, it's always going on everywhere. We just don't have the patience to follow through often. That's the problem. Right. Or a long enough life. <laughs> yeah, that, that too. Is, patience is important. Important in this in this process.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah, I wanted to say earlier a couple of things that I thought were important. I had a wise old patriot told me in Atlanta. He said, only fight the battles you know you can win.
1: Makes good sense.
0: Okay. And see, a lot of us chew off these battles that we can't win, and we get sucked into them, and it gets us distracted from what we ought to be focusing on. Okay.
1: You make a good point, and a lot of distractions out there, and also – We go about fighting the battles. We might be able to win, but we're going about it the wrong way.
0: I've met many times. That's true without, without question. I heard a story the other night and I wanted to bring up. It's just because you were talking about court and these decisions. And I just thought it was funny. Okay. I sent you this tape. It showed up in our PPN forum. It was an old uh, uh, video about the guy that kept mountain music alive. And I don't uh, remember his name. It starts with an F. I sent you the video. I said, I think you might enjoy watching this.
1: I watched it, Roger.
0: Oh, you did? Well, you, <laughs> I guess you got a, a kick out of this story. So let me relate it to the audience. Yeah, it was pretty good. He was an interesting character, wasn't he? Yep. Do you remember his name? It started with an F, I
1: thought. Um, no, I don't. Okay. It All was right. a well, YouTube video.
0: It, it was, uh, you know, this guy, and he was from back, oh, in the late the turn of last century, he was a young man, and he got really involved in the old mountain music. And he got PO'd because everybody thought they were they were just ignorant hillbillies. You know, the queen uh-huh. of England came over and these famous people, and they said, these have got to be the lowest class people on the face of the earth, that kind of comment and stuff. And they uh-huh. took great umbrage with it, which you can imagine. Okay, But this guy made his life's work of preserving that music. And he'd drive around all through the, the Kentucky and, uh, you know, from, from all the way up uh, close to Ohio or in Ohio all the way down through um, Alabama, you know, through all those mountains and finding these old songs and going, to where's old Joe Blow's house? And the kids would say, well, you go up there and take the third road to the left. And it's, you know, that kind of thing, right? Uh-huh. And so. One of the things that he did, other than do this, because he didn't make a lot of money doing it, it was just a passion. One of the things he did to help provide for his is he was an attorney. Okay, uh-huh. and they said in there, I think you'll remember it when I—I'm going to trigger you right now. He—he he wrote one song that was really famous, and it the Mountain Dew. If they, that old mountain dew, and them that refuse it are few. Y'all know all that song, right? Yeah. And he was off on the road somewhere when he wrote it. There was an incident that caused him to write it. And before he left town, he sold the rights to the only hit song he ever wrote. So he'd have enough bus money to get back home. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. But this is what I'm going to relate. He had a client when he was an attorney that was being tried for being a moonshiner. Uh Uh-huh. And so he went up to the judge and he poured some of the moonshine and he said, Judge, taste this. Uh Uh-huh. And the judge took a sip and he said, A man that can make that good a shine don't believe belong in jail. Uh And turned him loose and that's why he wrote the song Mountain Dew. (laughs) Uh Uh Uh-huh. I thought that was just classic, man.
1: Well, oh. I'm, I'm looking here. His name was Bascom Lamar.
0: Okay, Bascom Lamar.
1: Bascom Lamar, and uh, wrote that song back in 1928.
0: And 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 his client made such good moonshine that even the judge decided, man that can do that don't belong in any jail.
1: <laughs> you know, I have a friend at home that runs uh, He runs the, uh, for all his life. He's up seven, almost Maybe seven, well, yeah, seventy this year. But he ran a spray business, you know, spraying uh, herbicides and whatnot on uh, crops. Yeah. And every year, his brother used to work for dad. His brother, Doug, and uh, his brother, they uh, he, he moved down to East Tennessee. And he he's retired now, too. But he'd go down to visit him. They'd go to the NASCAR races. Uh, and down around chattanooga whatever they got going down there and he's sitting up in the stands and he got talking to this fella and he was a moonshiner a young fella and he took him back to his car and he gave him a case what he had he it's it's big business there still and they don't mess around they have their own labels and uh, they don't hide what they're doing much except from the feds <clears throat> and he he got a case and brought it home he said i I'm not drinking it. I'm just keeping it because he said, I want to have one thing. I want to say I got one thing, but the government hadn't got its fingers yet. <laughs> in. And the moonshine, then it's that way. But I can tell you for a fact that uh, there are people in pr- uh, federal prison from Marion, Illinois, which is down toward that part of the world. That's where a lot of them go, right over into that place in Kentucky. Uh, there's uh, people there that are from they're from moonshine families and they take turns going to prison. And uh, uh, they also, most of them now are in the, have been in the marijuana business along with the shine business. And uh, they control what they do by selling to uh, the judges and the sheriff and the police officers and everybody else in the community, and of course, everybody in the community, the ones that are in positions of power and government, they think that's part of their culture, and they they kind of want to keep it alive, too, and so they, as they've always done, they buy it, and they don't prosecute it. When they do get prosecuted, it's the feds, not the, not not as often the local guys, and of course, the feds prosecute it because they say they're avoiding taxes. It's the revenuers that come and prosecute them for what they're doing you know it's said in america that three kinds of people from three different cultures founded the country there were the the english and there were the german and dutch and there were the scots irish and those were the three dominant cultures that came here and were here and made up about 98 percent of the population when, uh, about a million apiece, as a matter of fact, are about three million free people, three free men in the, co- or three pe- free persons in the colony, and nine, over 98% of them were of those three groups, about a million apiece from the best numbers we can find. And those three welded together to make America what it is. And no matter what country you're from, or what your racial background is, that's what America is. And, of course, that's what's going on now with all of this Uh, racial uh, assumption of white supremacy assumption of white supremacy if you're white that's that's the doctrine now and what they want to do is just destroy that culture we cannot change history if you want to come no matter what group you're from or what country you're from if you want to come and be a part of this culture that has been a christian culture by the way that has enabled has enabled america to be what it is America wants you to come and come legally and assimilate, assimilate into this culture. But it is said to illustrate the culture that when the English, when the English got to where they wanted to go in America, they built a congregation house. It was used as a church most often and other uses, schoolhouse, and used for a meeting place, a meeting house, they called it. And if the when the when the G- uh, German and Dutch settlers got where they wanted to go, the first thing they'd build was a barn. They wanted to milk cows, keep stock. And when the Scotch-Irish got to where they went, they wanted all those things, too. They wanted a church house and a barn. first thing they built was a moonshine still. <laughs> it all came down to what they would build first and before they built their own homes. And that's really the culture. And I... It, it's, an, it's a hyperbole about the Scotch-Irish who are the Presbyterians, who are very much like the English Puritans and Congregationalists in their outlook of the Bible. They were coven, Covenanters. Uh, the, 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 the Scotch-Irish stressed that more in their understanding of the Bible, but the, the Puritans were too, as were the German and Dutch reform groups. But they are the ones that welded and founded the roots of who we are. And that cannot change. It will not change. There's no change in it. We are who we are, and that ends it. And it's not a. It's not necessarily a bloodline thing. You know, all through the Bible, all through the Bible, if someone wanted to be a part of the congregation of God, no matter who he was or what race he was from, he could come and do that. And there are, of course, in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, persons who are not Part, not sons not blood sons of israel and that still remains true today but whoever the congregation of god is other people can come and join i don't want these other races i don't want these other races that are different than me to have some other religion whatever you think about them it is better for them and better for us that they follow the bible You may have other points of view about who they are, how they fit in, whether they fit in, whether they have the same privileges. But in all events, every living creature on the face of the planet, for us to have stability and wealth, the more that conform to the will of God, which is the will of the sovereign, which is his law, the more that want to conform to that, the better off we are. Amen. And uh, regardless of what color your skin is, We are all creatures of God, regardless. God made everything. And uh, there are differences among us, and there ought to be. Matter of fact, the world would be an ugly, ugly, uniform place without the contrast that the different countries and the different people bring to our view. I'm around a lot. I travel a lot, you know, Roger. I travel a lot of American Indian tribesmen i go through those areas i i interact with them constantly i meet a lot of mexicans i interact which are by and large uh american indian tribesmen to a great degree of Mm -hmm. course Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i meet a lot of people with skin that is black that have african descent and i meet a lot of bohemians i meet a lot of of scandinavians i've been i just went through an area that were scanned of scandinavian settlements uh one of the largest the largest swedish settlement i just went through the largest swedish settlement in the united states it's so well it's not a big city it's out in the middle of nowhere they're all farmers but the the is king of sweden has visited this place
0: is, is that, that in minnesota or wisconsin
1: no it's believe it or not and There are many there, but this is in uh, Kansas. Really? Yeah. And uh, Danish settlements, I go through them out in this part of the world. You know, the, the Germanic people, as I said, settled uh, Nebraska, parts of Kansas, and the Scandinavian people, too. Northern Illinois, the Scandinavian people flooded that area after the Scots-Irish and the English went in there. You know, John, John Deere was from a place in northern Illinois. And... uh <laughs> he was english he was from new england by the way he was of old puritan stock but uh, then the scandinavians moved in but all of these mixtures and all of these people functioning together in different roles is good and if all of them would conform to what the bible says and what the laws of nature's god says all of us would be better off that's what our maker wants
0: they'd get along They'd have a common denominator where they could cooperate and coordinate with each other.
1: Well, Roger, I'm reading on Patriot Soapbox on uh, Saturdays, and uh, I've been reading from the book, the book called Jack Henson's One-Man War. Jack Henson's One-Man War researched Colonel Tom McKinney, United States Marine Corps, retired. It's about a man named Jack Henson who was uh, a farmer between the Cumberland and Tennessee rivers, right below uh, Metropolis, Seladoy, Paducah, Kentucky, that land where the rivers come up together there called the land. Now it's called the land between the lakes because the TVA, the Tennessee Valley authority has flooded those areas, made them navigatable in the Tennessee and with bigger barges, of course. And he lived there and uh, U.S. grant, across the river from Illinois, came down in there, and his job was to take Fort Donaldson. He was a brigadier general at that time. Nobody knew who he was. Uh, Jack Henson invited him into his home, into his kitchen, ate supper with him, uh, told him he wouldn't have any trouble from him. He's not taking sides. But then he ended up helping U.S. Grant reconnaissance the battlefield before one of the battles. Well, orders from the federal government commanded that if anybody, there was any suspicion of anybody, who was helping the Confederates that the the military forces, the Union Army, was to to execute them, not with trial, not with courts martial, just with just with a, a suspicion, a re, a, just a suspicion, not probable cause, and they murdered Union officer with his sergeant and their men tied to Jack Henson's boys to a tree while they were squirrel hunting on his own land. Tied them to a tree, shot him, cut their heads off, put them on the gateposts of his house. Well, that had a way of changing his attitude, you see. But he was smart about it. He went to St. Louis, he found a German gunmaker. Speaking of the Germans, see, they're the ones that provided the gun, the craftsmanship that provided the guns in America. They were the ones that were the clockmakers and the machinists and the men that liked precision. And he went to a German gunmaker and had a sniper rifle made, custom made to his liking. Fifty caliber, long barrel, four inches longer than any other thing else you'd see. And he commenced then, he found him a place, he had to hide himself, he had to leave. They finally got after him because they said he's dangerous now that we've killed his boys and they were gonna kill him. So he packed up his wife and children. He signed the title of his farm. He had a tobacco and hemp farm. He signed the title of it over to his slaves. He gave them manumission, turned them loose, hoping that and they had the run of the place. His wife was a cousin to Jesse and Frank James, by the way, another little colorful piece of the story. So, and By the way, Jesse and Frank James' father was one of the founders of Jewel College, a Baptist college, still there, a very influential school, Uh, nearby Kansas City in Missouri, in northern Missouri, where Jesse and Frank grew up. Well, Jesse and Frank were just like Jack Kenson. The Union Army came to their house, couldn't find people, wanted them to tell the boys to tell them where they were. They were just teenage boys, and they took Frank and Jesse and hung them. And then just before they died, they let them down and asked them some more questions. They were torturing them, trying to get information. Well, see, that has a way of changing a man's point of view. In this case, boy, those boys never quit. Uh, Frank and Jesse James, they were like Jack Henson's. Same thing, they were renegade, renegade soldiers. And Jack Henson, like the cousins of his wife, decided he was going to kill as many Union officers, no enlisted men, officers as he could. He found a place up above the river there on the land between the rivers and the cliff, and from about 400 yards, the packet would come up that river uh, upstream upstream with a Tennessee and Cumberland below the Mississippi or below the Ohio upstream is going straight south. Well, they'd be going upstream and there was a place where a chute where the river split and the packets and the steam packets and the boats that would come through there would come almost (laughs) it took them a few hours to go a few hundred yards because of the the stream. Well, while they were slowed down there, he'd uh, from about 400 yards away, he'd pick the buttons on the coats of the officers. He identified them, and he blew their hearts out, and they couldn't catch him. They couldn't catch him. And I'm reading the book for this reason, Roger. I'm reading it to the audience, just about 15, 20 minutes at the end of each presentation. But I'm reading it because it's a, it really happened. It's fact. It's well-researched. Tom McKinney researched it, wrote the story, and we live in a world world where we can't tell right now as we, as we uh, look around we can't tell even who the President of the United States is who in the world who is the powers that be and that's where Jack Henson was caught he said who is the powers that be I didn't want to get involved in this <clears throat> the Union Army has made a military district out of the mi- district of the Missouri they called it went into southern Illinois and eastern or western Kentucky Tennessee and way up into Missouri clear up to Kansas City they made a military district out of it. He couldn't tell. The courthouse wasn't open anymore. There was no protection of life, liberty, property, or any combination thereof. The Union Army came, and when the, his former slaves, his servants, showed them that they had title to the property, the Union Army burned the place down anyway and, and drove those former slaves out of their homes and left them destitute. That's the madness of war. Well, the point I'm making is we we aren't quite there yet, but we live in a world where the evil empire, Black Lives Matter, the other communist groups, the ones that are saying all white people are racist. That's what they want. They want that kind of a world because only out of chaos can they grab power. They cannot grab power with the order that we've given them. No, they can't.
0: Their stuff is way too off the wall, and not only that, it's not only it's only the white people even that can be racist.
1: Yeah, that's that's right. They say, and and that's of course. Yeah, well, you get the picture. That's why I'm reading that book, and I want people to ask: Did Jack Henson do the right thing? Because as it turns out, <clears throat> he never got his farm back. He was devastated. He ended up. The, the war ended, and they. They had a whole Marine detachment for about a year. Their only job was to find Jack Henson, and they murdered and tortured a lot of people to sounds- do it. Matter of fact, Colonel McKinney, who's re- retired from the U.S. Marine Corps, said this is the darkest chapter, what that Marine Corps detachment did, the darkest chapter in the history of the United States Marine Corps.
0: It sounds like it's Gordon better. Call to me, Parallel to hey, Gordon well,
1: Call. I- I mean, who did it? You mean the guy? No, who the did fact
0: it? that they're after him for a year and everything that happened that led up. Oh, to
1: Gordon. It? Oh, oh yes, Gordon. Up, yeah, in Iowa. Yeah, or, or was it in the Dakotas? I don't it was that. in
0: the Dakotas, but they finally oh. murdered him down in Arkansas.
1: Brutally, by the way, and brooded, murdered the sheriff.
0: Burned the house down with him in it.
1: Yeah. Hello? And then cut his hands yeah. and his head off. Hell, we,
0: had, we, had a fe- we had a female voice coming in there. Hello.
2: Hi, um, this is Lauren. Hi, Brent and Roger. Hey, Lauren. I had a question. Hi, I had a question. I'm reading Kabbalah Secrets, Christians Need to Know, an in-depth study of the kosher pig and the gods of Jewish mysticism by Deanne Loper. On On page 54, she states that on March 26, 1991, the U.S. Congress, under the presidency of George H. W. Bush established the Seven Noahide Laws as Public Law 102-14 in honor of Rabbi Menachem Schmerson, leader of the yeah, leader of the Shabbat Lupovich. What force and effect of law do House Joint Resolutions have, if any, and who do they affect?
0: Ooh, what a good question, Lauren.
1: Yeah. Well, can I go ahead and talk, Roger?
0: Sure. You... I, I, I'll oh, yeah. add. I'll butcher when you're finished. Go ahead, Brent.
1: Well, remember that we're a common law country, and our Constitution of the United States is a, a brief of common law government. Let me hit the nail on the head and say that has no force at all as a matter of what he did. But as a matter of what the Bible says, it has great force. Now, the Noahide laws, and that's a Jewish term as far as I know, there's no no word in the Bible, Noahide. There is the word Noah, of course, and Noah, when he got off the ark, if you remember, God repeated some fundamental first principles of law to him. And he said that, uh, that's where he said, for instance, that by, if man sheds blood, by man shall man's blood be shed. And he talked about dominating the earth, and then he set at that time, and this is important too, he said the times and the seasons aren't going to end uh, until the very end of time, the end of his annihilation of the the world as we know it by fire. They're not going to end, and he set the times and the seasons. See, before that, before that flood, there was no rain. Uh, Theoretically, times and seasons were, theoretically, no, it has to be. Times and seasons were not, what they are now they may have had them but they were different if they had them well we have the times and seasons now that uh, go along with the four seasons in many parts of the, of the world not all parts but many parts and he set those and um, he set forth laws now the whole idea of rabbinicism the whole idea of rabbinicism is that the Bible is for women children and idiots the official doctrine of Judaism is that the Bible and the laws of God as God gave them to Moses as they are fleshed out through the prophets and as Jesus Christ upholds them, and as the apostles of the New Testament unpack them, their official doctrine is that that is for women and idiots and children. The true law, the real law, is the law, Say says Babylonian Judaism. Is the, is the law that Moses delivered to the 70 elders. They got the real skinny, the real stuff. They got logic. They got logic and reason. And if you read the Talmud, you'll discover, and rabbis do say, and rightly say, that the Talmud and the Mishnah are scholastic. What does that mean? That means reason is worshipped reason is worship. Listen, when you hear somebody start talking about, we need to have critical thinkers in America, that's the problem. We don't know how to critically think. Run from that person. That is not the foundation. That is not the problem. Men are critical thinkers, and women are too, even more than men, by the way. Period. As the ancients recognized, horses are born to run Birds are born to fly, beasts of prey are born to ferocity, and men are born to think. And we think as surely as horses run and hounds hunt. We can't stop ourselves from thinking. And once your neck is in the noose, and once your, your buns are in the sling, and your life, liberty, and property are in the balance, your mind will work like a steel trap. Men think when they want to, when they have reason to. But that's not our problem. The problem is we don't accept the facts of the way things are, and they're not going to change. The law of God, we do not accept it. And God God presents reality from cover to cover, lid to lid in the Bible that way, and we live it every day in the world in which we live. No man, no woman, nobody can explain what gravity is. But we live by it every day, and it governs every movement we make and everything we think. We accept the fact of it, whether we acknowledge it or not or even know it. We do. And that's what makes us prosperous and wealthy. Scholasticism is Babylonian Judaism. And that's what they say. The Noahide laws are the laws that God gave to Noah. That's not a biblical term. I wouldn't use it. That's what the rabbis use. It's just more scholastic baloney. Mm -hmm. But the laws of Noah are good laws. What he said to Noah is good. But what they're saying there is, we want you to acknowledge what we say mr george bush that's all that was we want you to acknowledge what we say is important and that's the way they get their foot in the door we say the bible is important we think there's such a thing as judeo-christianity which is ludicrous as saying islamic christianity you know islam recognizes jesus christ is the second <laughs> the, the second greatest prophet
0: they sure do
1: that means we have something in common no we don't because to say that jesus christ is the second greatest prophet is blasphemy of the greatest sort
0: I, I, no, saw an, no. I saw an interview with an imam last night that said that. And the guy was oh, asking him, he said, well, now, is Muhammad the greatest prophet or the only prophet or just the latest prophet? And what yeah. do you think of Jesus? And he came back and said, we believe all prophets are important. But we believe that Muhammad is the latest one, and that's why we honor him. basically exactly what he said. I was shocked.
1: Yeah. Gee, well, see, Muhammad met a fellow that called himself a Christian. And his name was Nestorius. Or no, no, he did not meet Nestorius. He met some Nestorians. Nestorians were a sect of Christianity that followed a fellow by the name of Nestorius. Nestorius was pretty close to being a Christian, but he wasn't quite there. He was, as they said in the early church, a heretic. That's a bad word, too. That's not what he was. Heresy. the, The word heresy is from the Greek New Testament. It just means we have disagreements. It doesn't mean you're all wrong and I'm all right. And Paul said there must be heresies, divisions. We trans—it means division. There must be divisions among you so that the truth will be shown. That doesn't—that you know, a man who is has a a a different division, and I'm in this division, you're in that division. We're both, we we now have a heresy. That's the divide between us. The church, the Latin church, has taken that word and made it into something it isn't. Whereas it's a noun for a person that uh, says that person is wrong. Well, there are things that are wrong, and they're fundamentally wrong, and they make the difference, and they make you unchristian. That is true. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the second greatest prophet, or you believe that Jesus Christ is not better God of better God, creator of all things, and better man of better man at the self-same time, if you believe that Jesus Christ is a ghost or a phantom, if you believe that Jesus Christ is not the son of god conceived by the power and the virgin mary of the whole, of the spirit of god if you believe that you are not christian you're something else but you're not Christian. Furthermore, e- e- other people believe those kind of th- those kinds of things, not precisely that. E- but Nestorius was in that category. Let me finish, and then I'll quit. Okay, and sorry. Nestorius, a bunch of Nestorians were nice to Muhammad when he was down and out, and so he accepted Jesus Christ as a prophet because of his contact with these people who called themselves Christians, were very close to being Christian, that were Nestorians. Go ahead.
0: I was going to say, if they consider him a prophet, why do they call you heretics and say they have to go kill you? Those those two things don't square.
1: Because the creed of Islam is twofold. And if you do not agree to both parts of that creed, you're worthy of death. Here it is. Here's the creed. The creed is, there is no God but Allah. Mm -hmm. And Muhammad is his prophet. Right. And if you don't agree with that, you're worthy of death. I don't agree with it.
0: And, and that's, what they, that's what they chant every day in those chants with the call to prayers, exactly what you just
1: said. And I do. Yeah, that's their, that's their creed. They repeat it every day. And, mo, and Allah is not the only God. Allah is a false God. The preposition Allah, the preposition is Allah is a Semitic preposition. It's in Hebrew also, Al, or even the, the airline of Israel, et al, et al. Uh-huh. Et al. Et right. means unto, and at, two prepositions, and al, in Hebrew, it's in the Hebrew Bible hundreds of times, means above, unto the above, and unto the wild blue yonder, al. Well, Allah, Allah is a preposition that means high or highest, highest, and it's just a preposition, that's okay, but whatever he is, the a moon god, some people trace him to the moon god, he is a god of idolatry—the thing that they say they don't have—they are idolaters. Why do I say that? Because they worship the moon, the god of the moon. Well, and they also worship Mecca, and they bow toward Mecca yes, they do. and pray. That is idolatry. Five
0: times, five times yeah. a day.
1: Yeah, attributing some some special power to that place. Anything—if you attribute some special power to any created thing, whether it be a place. A living person, an animal, a Ouija board, I don't care what, a scepter of a crown, a throne, I don't care what it is. If it's created and you're attributing the power to communicate truth through it, then you are an idolater. And most of the world is in deep idolatry. That is true. Islam's right about that. But they are idolaters also.
0: You know, another, another kind of hypocritical thing from what you just covered is that's why you don't. All of the Islamic art is all geometric patterns because they will, do not believe in idol. But, yet yeah, they turn around and use the moon, and these as idols.
1: No, that's true. To Carry this a little further, Roger. Islam is scholasticism. Islam is reason. If you'll notice, Islamic people don't know squat about the quran they don't know squat about any of the other writings that they think they say are sacred they don't know anything about them they don't care why because reason and logic are number one and here's how that came about the same is true of romanism don't say catholic that's not what they are they're roman they are the roman they are romanism with a christian label that is false romanism is the the religion and law and government of the city of rome and the law of the city that's what they have that's the civil law we're, we're we're a common law country not the law of the city country a law of the city country but back in the in the early centuries after christianity uh there was a islamic sage by the name of averroes mm-hmm. averroes he lived in north africa mm-hmm. he discovered something that europe had not discovered yet he discovered the writings of the greeks Primarily, of course, Plato first and then Aristotle. Aristotle, those were, Aristotle especially was a Greek logician. He believed that you could find truth through reason. Facts never matter when people stress reason. That's a fact of life. It's just the way it works. You may say, well, I I base my reason on fact. Well, you may try to, but if you're focusing on reason and logic fact will recede from your consideration our common law is not based upon reason it's based upon fact we don't go to court and try to reason things through no we present the evidence of the facts the jury defines and decides the facts and that ends the matter then they deliver their verdict that's our that's the bible paul the apostle says i have delivered unto you that which i first received and then he recites what the greeks called dogmas Just the facts of the matter. We may not be able to explain them all. We can some. But the fact is they're facts. We ain't changing them. They are from the lawgiver himself. That ends it. And all of Christianity is based upon the facts of the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the evidence of that, the evidence is overwhelming. And it's in testimony form. Well, getting back to Averroes, back at the ranch. Averroes discovered these writings. And, of course... Islam has no laws it has no statutes commandments and judgments it only has the life of Muhammad their law is whatever Muhammad did and he in the their writings there's description in detail of everything he did in life from how he did foreplay with his with his little girls that he called his wife he was a pedophile he goes into great detail about that he goes into great detail about how he cleans himself up when he goes to the to the outhouse. That's all their law. It is the life of Muhammad that is their law, not any statutes, commandments, and judgments. So they don't have that. So Averroes said, well, what do we have then? Oh, this is beautiful. This is balanced. This is elegant. This is the writings of Aristotle. We have reason. Well, Averroes was a contemporary of St. Thomas, what people call St. Thomas Aquinas. He is just he's just Tom Aquinas. And he was also a contemporary of the most influential rabbi that ever lived by the name of Mohammedes in Europe. We have no clear evidence that he he met these men, but we have clear evidence that whatever Averroes did, Averroes introduced scholasticism, the primacy of logic of, of the writings of Aristotle into Spain, where Islam was powerfully set, had a great influence, oh, yeah. and from there, Aristotle and the writings of the Greeks were introduced into Europe through St. Thomas Aquinas and Mohammedes, And modern Judaism stresses logic and reason above all things. It, uh, Romanism, the writings of St. Thomas Aquinas, Thomism we call it, are reason and logic, as are Mohammedes, And that is, uh, the writings of Tom Aquinas are the official doctrine of the Roman Church, And Muhammad's and his writings and what he said are the official doctrine of Judaism. So you've got the three most visible, salient, dominating religious points of view in the world are dominated by Aristotle, which was a logician. He was a logician. And those three are all about logic. Christianity? No, no. It's founded on fact. Logic is a tool we use. The Paul's epistle to the Romans, for instance, is a logician's treatise. But he makes the point, as does our Declaration of 76, of first establishing the fact of the matter. Our Declaration of 76 takes judicial notice of facts and then builds the logic on it. Or, or Scholasticism does it the other way around. You say, Brent, surely it's not that stupid and simple. Yeah, it's that stupid and simple. And I, I'm in good company when I say that. Just go read blackstone's william blackstone's volumes and he'll he'll talk about how romanism and the roman church and the the pope and the emperors of rome had it upside down upside down on that point our common law is just the other way around uh, the other way around as is the bible which is our common law our common law is a way a road a path you get on that's founded on fact it's not a list of laws either the bible the bible lists laws But the important thing to mankind is not not what he does. The important thing to God's people is how they do it. That means the course, the process they take when they get on it. That's what our common law is. It's due process. How do we go about finding the truth and then obeying it? And that's the foundational thing, how, not what. Well, with uh, with scholasticism, it's all about logic. Well, our Declaration of 76, for instance, begins with a fact. Uh, What is it? We hold these truths, uh, the declaration, uh, to be self-evident. What does that mean? That means self-evident? That means uh, we don't require proof for this. Why? Because it's so abundantly proven in nature and all around us. It's what is accepted. We understand it. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men are created equal and are endowed. Notice he doesn't say externally endowed, but inwardly endowed. We are clothed within, endowed with, we endowed with certain inalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness.
0: Which originally, which originally was property and was changed.
1: And I'm glad it wasn't. I'll tell you why. We have property in our Constitution, life, liberty, and property, and due process. To take a man's life, liberty, and property without due process is a crime in America. And it's the most important right because that is our fundamental common law, due process. You can take a man's life, liberty, property, combination thereof uh, with due process, but without due process, you can't do that according to our law. Well, it says happiness for a very important reason. And that reason is this, because happiness is the word happens. Uh, happiness and the Bible, Jesus Christ defines it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. You know when it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are you when they... Blessed, 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 blessed. Well, that word, blessed, translated blessed, that's more of an interpretation. The word just means to be happy. And what he's stressing there is, this is this is fascinating. What he's stressing there is, be happy with what happens to you. Be happy with what happens to you. That's all he's saying. That's, that's saying a lot, though. Because what happens to you is what the maker of all things causes to happen to you, the sovereignty of God. Be happy with what happens to you because his name is he happens. Uh, his holy name translated in various ways. King James says the Lord, the, the Jews said we don't even want to say that name. We're afraid to take the name of the Lord, that God in vain. Well, it is the verb, the verb, a verb that is it appears so often in the Bible that hundreds Oh, no, no, over 7,000 times, I'm trying to remember, over 7,000 times, more than any other verb in the Bible, that is the holy name of God. And what Jesus Christ is saying is be happy, with what, be happy with what happens to you. And the man who takes, Roger, the man who takes what happens to him and sees it from God and uses it to his advantage is the one that will be productive. If you are unhappy without what happens to you constantly, then you will be overcome with that, and you will be a negative personality. Very,
0: very true. Is- no,
1: listen. What everything that can can anybody say, <laughs> intelligently, that everything that happens in the universe in the universe is is uh, is no that that uh, God does not make everything happen that happens if He's sovereign. Now, the whole charismatic community denies that reality. The Pentecostals deny that reality. Most of common, what we call common sense American Christianity denies that reality. But the people that founded our country did not deny that reality. As I said, the German and Dutch reform groups, the Scotch-Irish Presbyterians, and the, the English Puritans and Congregationalists, that was the centerpiece of their Christianity. That's why we call them reformed. They believe that everything that happens is God. Everything. Why? Well, His name means He happens. Uh, Yahweh, Jehovah, Yahuha, However, you want to pronounce it. Why don't we just translate it for what it means in my in the winterized version of the Bible? Every time that word appears, I don't say Yahuha, I don't say Yahweh. I don't say Lord. I don't say Jehovah. I say in all caps, He happens because that's exactly what it means Mm -hmm. and this life liberty and the pursuit that's an important part of the chasing down the chasing down of what happens to you paul the the apostle said in the New testament and this is the, the winterized version i translate it this way because this is what it means paul says i have not yet tackled that for which i have been tackled i have not yet tackled That for which I was tackled, who tackled him. God tackled him. You don't believe it. Go to the book of Acts and see what happened to him. He didn't do it. God knocked him out of the saddle. No, that's what happened. He was riding a horse. God knocked him out of the saddle and blinded him for two weeks. And he didn't know what happened. He had to try to figure out what happened. What happened? Lord, who are you? He said. He said, I am the Lord. I am Jesus Christ, whom thou persecutest. Well, what what, what do you want me to do? That was his next question. That should be our next question. Once you realize, once, of course, he was blinded, and then when he's blinded, he didn't know what was going on. Like the blind man in John chapter 8, he didn't know who Jesus Christ was. All he knew was, once I was blind, now I see. He blinded Paul, and then he made him see, and then everything looked different when he opened his eyes. And if that hasn't happened to you, you're not Christian. That has to happen to you. You have to be shown the you're blind you have to accept your blindness you have to accept that only god is the happening one that can make it happen for you and paul said i was tackled and now i'm spending the rest of my life trying to tackle what i was tackled for you, and I, I am chasing you i am pursuing brent yeah you're, you're singing well, our ahead.
0: song. you're singing our song here man i mean that parallels okay. exactly what we do here okay and that's exactly what happened to me is I, I was blind I used to answer those questions wrong I had I sensed something was wrong but I had no definitive path and then all of a sudden I met these two guys and the world opened up to me and I've seen it since and I went through these big changes and now I try and find other people who are like minded in that situation and are also looking for truth and I try and uh, embellish them with it and explain it to them and grab their hands and walk them down the path uh, you know that we're supposed to be on not the one we've been guided to um i, I want to address lauren are you still with us or did you go away she's listening okay well that's fine um I, she said it passed as a house resolution wasn't that correct
1: oh yeah let me get to that review unless, unless you want to talk a while but I, <laughs> it's not it's not a law to amounts to anything as far as the president goes but the bible teaches those noahide laws but what they were trying to do was just get us to accept our government to accept them as authorities see that's what they want go ahead okay.
0: well uh dr D- lauren day uh, i'm Miss lorraine day excuse me i think uh has got a new book out i'm assuming most people in our audience are familiar with dr day and her work okay um tremendous background uh W- just without going into a lot of her backgrounds and be heavy medical her husband was a uh in the house of representatives he's dead now i heard her say the other day in an interview he died a couple of years ago he was in the house that day they rammed that through okay uh and she talks about it all right but good old dr day knows an awful lot about medicine but she doesn't know a whole lot about how the law operates i don't think and most people don't that's fair um I, I, we went over the other day, and this is fairly recent to our audience. Uh, how are laws made? Okay, one of my legal teachers hammered this into my head, Brent. How are laws made? Okay, and you can go to the government printing office. Used to have an office there in Atlanta. I went down there and bought the book. Okay, and they wrote, they have a book how laws are made. Well, how laws are made, or either the the it's either brought up in the House of the Senate, can be brought up in either one. Both houses have to pass it. If it's not exactly the same bill, they go into a conference committee and hammer it out till it is. And I guess if they can't get it hammered out to where they agree with each other, they can't go to be signed. Okay, so it's got to go in a conference committee. They got to agree. When that happens and that's fulfilled, it goes to whoever's in the Oval Office and he signs it, and then it goes into the statutes at large under the presumption that it's constitutional Okay. now Lawrence said that these no hide laws were passed as a house resolution only well they they're not law they didn't, get, they didn't come in the senate it wasn't signed by the president and you won't find them over in the statutes at large if it was just a house resolution that's exactly where it stops now that doesn't mean it can't get in the law books it means it's not yeah. in the statutes at large the organic laws and i'm going to give you a perfect example do you know what other there's an entire title in the united states code brent that was not passed by the senate and not passed by the uh, assigned by the president and it's in the united states code you know what that is
1: but t- probably the income tax that's laws.
0: exactly the one it is okay <laughs> it was only passed as a house resolution two Who does it apply to? People in Washington D.C., where the House has exclusive jurisdiction. I mean, if this doesn't just make your make you pucker like a dog passing a persimmon seed, Nancy Pelosi is in charge of D.C. Yeah. Okay. I don't know what you're saying. Yeah. All right. So when they pass it as a House resolution, who does it apply to? People in D.C and federal citizens and if you're a citizen of the united states and a resident
1: that's you well roger dc congress has absolute control over dc is what you're saying under that district that's what our constitution says so they can do that but the house can pass resolutions all day long that doesn't mean it's a law and the 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 reason they do that one of the reasons they do that they're not always trying to apply it just to dc they're just trying to to make a statement sometimes but it is under the freedom of petition that they do that you know the petition began with freedom petition began with parliament a petitioning government but it wasn't parliament it was just the landowners of england getting together and and writing a letter to the king and saying we think this ought to be the way it is and he got so a few times he signed it and sent it back because he agreed he said i agree and signed it well, that became known as a bill that was signed by the president, and that's how that whole situation at common law started. And so it was the landholders meeting together, which was the Witenagemot in Anglo-Saxon England, became the parliament, it was the reconstituted Witenagemot the French-speaking Normans we were really Norwegians that lived on the coast of France that picked up the French tongue. They call it the place where they parlay, the landowners get together and parlay and they wrote letters to the king and those became known as bills. And we still do that. So any letter, anything they want to write, they can do that. Parliament can, or I mean, Congress can, or our state legislatures. That's a freedom of petition fundamentally exercised. But as you said, all, well, you didn't say it, but you were making the point, all legislative power, resides in the congress of the united states not some all the president of the united states has no legislative power mm-hmm. to make anything law he'll try he'll say it They're, the governors being in the executive position are saying you got to wear a mask that's all baloney and if we're stupid enough to just tangentially cooperate we're giving fuel to the law of the city we're giving fuel to the evil empire. Do not participate. If it ain't a law, if it didn't go through the arduous process of hammering it out, as you pointed out, hammering out between the two houses of the legislature, coming together to a resolution, sending a bill to the governor or the president, he signs it into law. It's not a, it's not a law. And even if he signs it into law, for example, the president does it may not be within the jurisdiction of the Constitution for them to even do that. It may not be law that, at all.
0: That's very true. It's considered to be when he signs it constitutional, and they'll put it over in the statutes at large, but oftentimes those are found to not be constitutional.
1: Yeah, that's right. Okay. So, And we
0: were talking add. the other day about the administrative state. What's the only way you can overturn a regulation? Go back to the original legislative intent. And prove uh-huh. that the intent that they meant for this thing has been jerrywonked through this public policy process and is totally opposite from what the original intent was.
1: Uh huh. Yeah, that often happens. And it's important then that we understand as Americans that there be a critical mass of Americans that are thoroughly familiar with how common law government works. Because if you don't know that, you will not understand anything about the Constitution of the United States because the Constitution of the United States explains nothing. It's not intended to explain anything, but it it freights. Every word and every phrase freights into its meaning <laughs> unknown numbers of understandings of how we go about doing things. And when it says all legislative power, this is a common law country. When it says the trial by jury, well... That freight's in a whole lot of process, a whole lot of how we go about doing things. Same thing with legis- legislation. Back to you, Roger.
0: I wanted to ask you, and I see Daryl's joined us. We've chummed him up. You must have said something. We'll get to him in a second here. Always got something good to add. But I wanted to go back to the first with this guy in Missouri you were talking about, the uh-huh. Am- Amish guy, Amish guy. Uh-huh. Um, hey, w- would you maybe, are you going to have an opportunity to talk to him again?
1: probably.
0: Well, yeah. why don't you mention to him what our work here is because it, to me, if he would file something and become a national, I don't think those interstate commerce laws would apply to him anymore.
1: Well, you'd have to convince the bureaucrats at the FDA, I'm sure, but yeah, well, probably Well
0: true. All you got to do is send them a copy of what you got on file with, with, with the Secretary of State and telling them you're not a resident anymore. That's their jurisdictional nexus right there.
1: Mm-hmm. no okay. i understand what you're saying roger no he, i'm sure he'd be very interested well, why,
0: why don't you because we're, you know somebody like that that's got those kind of kahunas and that kind of motivation and that kind of goal he's the guy I, man he could put this thing to a test right there
1: uh-huh no i agree with you but i Probably should get him your book, Roger.
0: Well, even even that, I it just without having to read the book, Brent. Let me. I'm going to send you after the e- after the show. I'm going to send you an email with three things in it. This uh, interview I did with Deanna Spingola, which I think is the best presentation of this material I've ever done. Okay, uh-huh. all these years, that's quite a statement. All right. And the two documents that go with it, how to escape the matrix and how to file an, a national affidavit. I will send you those because that will get him up to speed a whole lot quicker than reading the book. You see, the we know a lot of stuff now. I didn't know when we wrote that book. Okay. We got a lot of answers I didn't have back then. All right. Uh So anyway, I just wanted to throw that at you if you want to do that. uh, And I'll send you that after the show. So uh, let me stop here in a minute and see if anybody we've been running our mouths with the exception of Lauren getting up somehow getting a word in. Uh, We've been running our mouths for about an hour and a half on all these very important things. Does anybody have anything we covered that you got a question about an observation an analysis or anything you'd like to point out? now's the time to come forward hit your mute come on forward
3: i don't think there's uh i don't think there's enough time left in the show (laughs) to comment on all that well you may be right (laughs) yeah there's 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 been a lot laid down wow yeah well uh i'll just i'll pick up at the end here a little bit the uh this conversation on public policy and public law is extremely important. It's a it's an area that I don't believe many people have much uh, knowledge of. Understand? You know, we had a conversation. Yeah, uh, we had a conversation yesterday where uh, public policy came into view for a moment. Uh, one of its one of its uh, derogatory aspects, uh, degenerative aspects, and how it's applied, and people uh, comply with it. And this is in in reference to something that's sort of timely to this conversation. Having Brent here is the five hundred one C three churches, and that they're not allowed to have a take a position uh, against public policy. So. This is uh, so they can have their their tax advantages, I guess, right? They're, that's their is that their compromise. Uh, so, you know, public policy and how it affects every aspect of your life is extremely important. And I would I would suggest to you that there's a parallel between the objectives of public policies and the uh executives that uh decree these uh that is absolutely talmudic well, and and the, Noah, the noahide law is explicit in that but the the degeneracy and decay and destruction of all these aspects that are afflicting you in your lives and your communities is uh uh comes from uh primarily the source of the uh, jewish talmud and its objectives of degeneracy uh, I,
0: think,
1: I think you're right yeah. i think you're right i want to throw something in quick and then let you go yeah. on but uh i do agree with old monteith brotherhood of darkness you know the the fundamentalist independent Baptists say it's the it's the Catholic Roman Catholics they call them, and then other groups say it's the it's the Jews, and other groups say no, it's the Masonic lodge, and other groups say it's this, that, and the other Islamic people. But uh, I, mean, I, I lean more to his idea that yes, it is the Talmud. Yes, it is the babylonian judaism but it's also romanism it's also islam and all three of those Mm -hmm. plus a whole lot of others isms and schisms i haven't mentioned are all the same fundamentally they promote scholasticism and they promote the idea that i can do something to gain favor with my god and i can't i'm helpless i'm hopeless i'm naked before him and i'm condemned without him and i'm bound for hell that's what the Bible says. Right. Well like, part of, so of
0: those I, others' doctrine is that they believe they're the gods.
1: Yeah, that's right. No, and this book that this gal mentioned, I appreciate her mentioning it, about the oh there's another one out by this fellow from uh Shucks, can't remember his name, called The Strange Gods of Judaism Strange uh, Gods of uh, Judaism. Michael Hoffman. Yeah, Michael as you, as Hoffman. It's
0: Judaism's Strange Gods. And boy, is that a book, and is that an author. If you guys aren't familiar no. with him, Michael Hoffman, he does revisionist history. Uh, you better have a theosaurus next to you when you read his stuff.
1: And Romanism, yeah, you're right. Romanism and uh, Judaism are fundamentally also a feminism. They are fundamentally a feminism, as so is most yeah. of Christendom, Protestant Christendom in America. Dumb. I learned something from that fella wyland when i did uh, we did that uh that thing about the constitution in missouri he calls it christa dumb i think he stole it from somebody else but i'll quote him because he who never quotes is never quoted but that's true well anyway no i agree but i'm going to let uh, let daryl go on i have, just want to throw that i have well,
4: one public i, I appreciate an go ahead chris mm-hmm. um It was reported by John Stadmiller, I think it was yesterday, that this Sunday will be Deanna Spengola's last broadcast. She has a lot of health and personal issues. She lost a daughter not long ago, and so she's going to cease broadcasting. So uh, yours is one of the last episodes of live broadcast, uh, Roger, that uh, has quite a bit of bearing, and she's had a wonderful list, and she's a very strong uh, supporter and uh, literary investigator or critical investigator, and the uh, one that just mentioned the strange gods Judaism, Michael Hoffman is one of her uh, stalwart authors that she has a high opinion of. Thank you.
3: Thanks, Chris. Uh, yeah, uh, Diane has uh, great, done great work over the years. Um, the. Uh, uh, you know, it's such a conversation. I'm listening to everything you're saying today, and I keep I keep looking for where the uh, the trash is coming from upstream, and I because uh, I keep picking up trash along my riverbank, and I I go, where does this trash keep coming from? And you know, when you when you finally uh, uh, you know take the time to you know walk upstream. Along the bank, you find that there's somebody up there that's throwing trash in your river and it's ended up on your banks. And uh, that just takes a, just a little bit of research. <clears throat> the uh, this, this degeneracy, it's the only state that I can the only adjective I would use to encompass a huge part of our uh, lives here now uh, comes from. Uh, I'll just say it again: the Babylonian uh, Talmud, and uh, that uh, has nothing to do with uh, who uh, we are, to, or what we're to study, and, and to what we're, how we're to live our life as as uh, as Christians. Nothing. But yet it affects every aspect. You can't find a single component of your life in public if this of this country and its laws that are being applied that does not precipitate from this infection, this virus, this filth. You you cannot even Uh, you know i've i've sort of come to terms with some of this a little bit over the last year and particularly the last six months and when i talk about communism i don't i don't say communism i say it's uh, jewish communism when i talk about pornography i don't call it pornography i call it jewish pornography all right well you have to until you identify where the filth is coming from and who manages it and we have all the evidence we need we can go to the congressional record we can go to the we can go to the cases and who legislates it well I I won't I uh, this this is Jewish Babylonian Talmudism
1: I want to, th- of it. Yeah. to throw in a question does anybody know who the last non-Romanist or non-Talmudist was on the Supreme Court of the United States whoa I just kind of surprised me because I never thought about it. I said this to my younger brother. Well, he's home and I we were down at mom and dad's jabbering in the front room like we always do, and and he had his telephone and he said, well, I'll just look it up. And it was uh, Blackman was the last. Ah. Pro Protestant. He claimed to be Protestant, he was Methodist, but then he's the one that wrote Roe v. Wade. So he fit, I guess.
2: Yeah.
0: I was gonna but, say Thurgood yeah. Marshall.
1: Uh, well i don't know i that's what he said he found on the internet i didn't follow up on it Um, but it is without question that the talmudist and romanist jesuit trained men have dominated the supreme court of the united states since brandeis and brandeis was the one that he became a supreme court justice but when he was a lawyer in the year 1908 he filed a brief with the u.s supreme court and ever since it's been called the brandeis brief right and the reason it was called the Brandeis Brief is because he didn't use law so much as he had a little bit of a brief there, just a few pages, then piles and piles of psychobabble studies. And uh, studies that people have done that weren't lawyers, didn't have anything to do with the law about the detriment of, um, of people being in factories working that were under the age of 21 or 18. Well, of course there is abuse there, I understand that. but it. But at this point, our courts are not about law. They're about psychobabble studies. I mean, it dominates everything. Well, where'd that come from? Well, who pushed that in Europe and over in America? Men like Sigmund Freud. Mm-hmm. And their point of view wasn't religion, mm-hmm. by the way. It's all tribal Bible.
0: Yeah. It's all Frankfurter. I, uh, Frankfurter out who kind of followed Brandeis and this group of people that have guided that court for so long. Thank you, Woodrow Wilson.
3: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah you've you've really you've really hit the hornet's nest there, Brent. Uh, I have I have two books for people who really want to get their mind around where we're at and have the documentation. Uh, it's dense. Uh, the first book is a fairly recent book. It's called Merchants of Sin. written by benjamin garland it is a highly detailed explicit account from beginning to where we're at presently with the uh, uh, who how and uh, why they have degraded our uh, our nation because we're not a nation anymore and uh, and their sole intent and purpose, and explicit context of of the words and the methodologies, their own quotes, um, and the uh, the legislatures and the uh, courts that facilitated them. Uh, merchants of sin. If you want to know, uh, the the 1960s counter revolution was planned. Uh, out in pretty good detail 20 years before it happened and and you thought you were just a hippie or a a liberal sort of guy right so the other book was written in 1953 and is maybe probably the very best uh, description of the origins of zionism and communism that i've ever uh read and the book's name is behind communism by frank l Britton. oh boy
0: that's good
3: um and uh the reason i like these uh everyone is because they don't they don't mince their words and the <sighs> it's heavy uh the discussions that mr Britton's having in here and the evidence he brings forth in their own words uh he was he was um screaming as loud as he possibly could in 1953 about what we're living through at this very moment yeah and he he knew it he knew it then and uh this is before you and i were born brent
1: yeah by about a year really.
3: Yeah. yeah. So, uh, there, uh, this battle's been going on for a long time, and there's been a, a, any number of people that have observed it and understood the origin of the filth and the trash, the Jewish Babylonian Talmud, and its facilitators. And um, uh, I don't, uh, I don't believe that. Uh, I, I think people. Oh, gee, how do i say this uh yeah i don't believe you can compromise with this anymore okay mm-hmm. i don't think there can be any compromise with it mm-hmm. so
0: you're on one uh, side or the other I, uh let me add something daryl because you sent it to me yesterday yeah. after i got the show posted and i said i'm i want to yeah. put it on today so let me announce it the don quixote school of law on common law abatements for traffic tickets which Daryl sent a link to me yesterday. I was finished uploading, and I couldn't go back in and edit it. I'll put that at the end of the show description today. And I think you've got a uh, download link, a a PDF link for one, at least, of those books, probably both. And if you do, if you'll drop them to me in time, I'll stick them on today's show description along with the Don Quixote common law traffic ticket abatement.
4: Can I uh, kick in a third Um, book? Yeah, but I just got a question.
0: Why would you call yourself the Don Quixote School of Law when all he did was joust at
4: windmills? (laughs) It's catchy. A a third book you might want to consider, I think, was Eustace Mullins. I think it was something to the effect of what the great men said about the Jews. And in particular, this morning, I had gone over to Eurofolk Radio, and I found... Pastor Eli James doing uh, William Webster Hollis uh, recitation on his uh, tome on the origination of the word term J-E-W-S uh, from Huda or Utah or Judah as the case may be. And where that word actually came from, that was pretty on point from what I've been able to discern. I have a good appreciation of Eli James over there from RBN's days, and Rick Adams uh, recently departed. He sure did.
0: Rest in peace, Rick. Good guy.
4: And I had also put in a link yesterday to, um, it was rtf. Which has a lot of very salient stuff. It was uh, the legislator makes laws, and it had to do with um, the statutes overruling codes. And it also goes through and it has, uh, down around the 35 minute mark, a very clear uh, dissertation on the complex schemes of the Corban kings, the banking industry or uh, extortion rack, as the case may be, and that the fact that all banks are really agencies of the federal government, therefore they are see something, say something, and it's my contention that these days they have a very powerful financial interest in um, reporting immediately anything that looks suspicious and probably get a kickback of a percentage of whatever they turn in uh, from their banking positions. So, with that, I thank you very much for letting oh, yeah. me uh, hey, chime in. Uh, let me
0: give you an example of what's going on down here. Uh, uh, the, my my landlord's duenos they're called in Spanish, are my good friends the Bullocks. He had some property down on the beach that he recently sold, and because he's back in the States, his son it has power of attorney over all that stuff. And so, there was a $12,000 exchange, for some reason, and it ended up in, in Patrick, the son's bank account, because he's the power of attorney. Man, it was... It wasn't in there 10 seconds. He got a call from the bank. What's his $12,000 doing in your bank account? So just it's not only happening up there, it's here, too.
1: Well, it, it seemed to me, Roger, it seems to me that the um, banks are not agencies, of the federal government. It seems to me that the federal government is an agency of the bank.
0: Well, yeah, but there's federal government, so when sure. that gives them the charter...
1: Oh, I I see. As a matter of form, yeah, I get your point. That's technically the yeah. case, I suppose. But I just see them as uh, people say that uh, the federal Federal Reserve Bank is neither federal nor is it reserve. And I say, well, no, it is federal. It runs the federal government, and uh, so let's don't say it's not federal. <laughs> even if what, even if it's the other way around, uh, that if it's an agency of the federal government, it it uh, is federal. So there's some truth in that from my perspective
3: back to you Brent. yeah Brent, I, I i i think it's a really important point is that the uh the churches and the uh, federal reserve and this uh thing that is identified as government uh-huh. all have same basic relationship with each other and okay. and what that is is that uh, Federal Reserve forgives the government for its uh, trespasses, and the government forgives the Federal Reserve. One washes the hand of the other, and uh-huh. this is what uh, this is what the church does. The Roman Church um, and 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 church of them do as well. They 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 cover each other. They they work in they work in concert together, and and. Uh, when one gets in trouble the other one absolves them from the other one oh, wow. so, yeah. uh, this is this is a this is the uh, oh it's the epitome of uh conspiracy uh, it, uh, conspiracy involves collusion uh cooperation uh, so you know i uh, I really appreciate when you when you're talking about uh, the the Jewsuits or the Roman Church, uh, its distinctions. Uh, somebody brings up uh, Freemasons, which I'm inclined to do. Uh, somebody brings up Islam, uh, which you did today. Somebody else will bring up somebody else and somebody else and somebody else, and and they get they get very animated about it. It's these 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 are the ones, and I i have just come to the point where i smile and i go yes 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 it's a thousand points of light yeah yeah Uh it's a thousand points of light it's you you, you're all right all of you are right because it's all of them Mm -hmm. all right It's a thousand points of light. I I always agree with Sam
0: Monteith too. Brent, excuse me for interrupting. I just wanted to get that in there, and I wanted to. I was fortunate enough before he left us to be on his show and promote my material twice. And what what a cordial gentleman he was. I don't think he got it. He didn't get it. I couldn't explain it as well as I can now back then, but I did have that opportunity, and I do believe he's right. And there are all different ethnicities and all different religions that have thrown whatever uh, uh, caution and goodness they had to the wind and joined in here, but at the root and the nucleus of it it's all this talmudic judaism it's their laws it's their concepts and that's where it emanates from and the other people although they're involved follow those 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 uh, leads well,
1: there's no accident that the uh, pope not too long ago uh, promoted islam and he also promotes uh, babylonian judaism They do cover one another, no question. Uh, Monteith, that's why he calls them the brotherhood of darkness. Right. The brotherhood, because they're fraternal. They cover one another. They're fundamentally alike. And they don't ultimately, ultimately, they work with each other. It's no accident that the Roman church supported Nazism. Now, what was the matter with Nazism? The thing that was a matter with Nazism was Nazism was the law of the city. Uh, Hitler apparently adhered to Romanism. Yes. In the beginning, things went along really good, of course. But it can never come out right in the end when you're following the evil empire, and that's what he did. And it's no accident that the Roman church then through the, and there's no question about this. You can go read the facts of the matter in history too. Uh, through the Roman Church, through the Vatican, funneled the leaders of the Nazism that wanted to keep their heads from getting cut off or get hung.
0: The rat line.
1: And, yeah. And R- Rome uh, was in league with them. Mm-hmm. Why is it? You have to ask yourself why is it that when in the midst of the evil empire, saying women can be men? And they can hold all positions of church leadership in every denomination and every schism why is it that rome gets a pass and nobody says we ought to have women priests why is that rome gets a pass about everything Mm -hmm. there's such a clout of money and military might yes they control armies don't think they don't they always have and of course the largest pedophilia ring in the world this is the evil empire as we get older all of us we get older i think if we're right-headed we get more in touch with who is behind it all and we can say it's this group or that now in the New testament there's no question that the prototype of all false religion is babylonian judaism and when jesus christ hit the scene in uh, reduced to the span of a man in the gospel records every page he butts his head up against this evil yep. system of men yep. that are attempting to s- destroy him destroy the truth and murder people that don't agree with them and did yep. so yep uh, when we get also in the epistles every epistle of the new York testament is written against babylonian judaism not covertly not implicitly but directly paul the apostle says in one of his epistles beware of the circumcision beware of dogs he equates the two, nothing more. <laughs> from, from Paul being a votary of Babylonian Judaism, a very successful one, he speaks in the terms of a Babylonian Jew. He uses their their language, their phrases. Of course, he doesn't, he doesn't ever mention any of the uglinesses of their doctrine except to say, and this is significant, except to say it's a pile of human sewage. All of it. And I don't even want to talk about it. That was his attitude. What he did talk about was Jesus Christ. A lot. He stressed him. He didn't mention the other and say, stay away from them. John the Apostle, the first epistle of John, written specifically against Babylonian Judaism. uh, Sometimes called Gnostic Judaism. It's all the same stuff. All the same crap. All of it. There's no sense. Paul the Apostle doesn't go into detail about it, neither do the others. They don't want to, and they don't have to. What they want to say is, here is what God wants. Here's who you are. Forget that trash, that filth. That sewage. Get out of it. Had a friend, Roger. How much time we got? I don't want to tell this story. You don't have too much. Well, let I don't me don't
0: just say, I'm going to let you tell the story. If anybody wants to get a hold of more Brent winners, go to commonlawyer.com. Now go with your story, Brent.
1: Yeah, and join us in church on Sunday mornings, Patriot Soapbox, and on Saturday mornings, Patriot Soapbox. And we're going through the books of Genesis and the books of Matthew simultaneously. And we want to keep going through the Bible that way. Join us and uh, see what else we've got. But my story, that's at commonlawyer.com, that my story is about a fellow that I became acquainted with that was 7 eighths Pacific Islander and one-eighth American Indian from a tribe in Northern California and Northern Nevada. Uh, obscure unknown tribe but it was, uh, his tribe is recognized, federally recognized the Bureau of Indian Affairs that means he gets a lot of benefits so he got land, trust land that uh, he rents out to another friend of mine and that's the way that trust land works it's a otherwise worthless area but if you want to be alone, you can get it well I got in it, I stayed there a long time he would put up a house there it's not on the California side, it's on the Nevada side I remember he had real good internet because he could look through the Washoe Valley a number of miles and up there where Lake Tahoe is. He had a straight shot to another fellow that had internet up there. And because it was a straight, unblocked shot, we had good internet. But he was 7th, 8th, 7th, 8th Pacific Islander. He had a brother who was an alcoholic he's dead now, A an alcoholic and a drug addict, and every time he'd go on a binge, he confessed Christianity, but he'd go on a binge, and every time he did with drugs and booze, he'd get out all of his Indian artifacts and his tobacco bags and all the stuff that he, his trinkets and his dream weaver circle and all that baloney, and this fella told me, by the way, he was in a, still is in a gospel music band, they play country gospel music, they go down to, to uh, Well, the little towns around there, including Virginia City, and play. He said, I tell my brother, get rid of that stuff. That stuff is not part of Christianity. Now, this is an Indian talking who was seven-eighths Pacific Islander. He had a lot of background, and that's pagan stuff too. But he said, you just got to get rid of all of it. That's not who you are. That's idolatry. It's paganism. It's demonism. you you don't revert back to that but every time you get drunk you go back to it well the point i'm making to people who might be listening you were you grew up romanist oh i had ancestors who were probably in that system too i don't know because i don't know much about my ancestors i know that if they were in europe and they were they probably were taken into that powers that be system but get rid of all of it no don't don't retain vestiges of it Mm -hmm. martin luther tried that he even told his students, I can't get rid of this stuff. You fellas, he said, are going to enjoy your salvation like I can't. Why? He said, I just can't get away from the trinkets and the the trappings of Romanism. He said it. He admitted it. And he wanted them to have a greater blessing. Well, that's all I wanted to say, Roger. Well, you Back got
0: here. it in before we were off. We're about to kick off. We just got kicked off the server. And uh, good good timing, Brent. Um uh, great show. Th- thanks for all that good information. I'm going to send you that email for this guy in Missouri, and I'll put for Missouri guy in the subject line, okay? Okay. And I sure wish you'd send it to him and urge him to listen to this Deanna Spingola interview. Because oh, I, I mean. I don't. I, yeah. I, I finally yeah, – I did this again yesterday. I was talking to a doctor's assistant, and I was uh-huh. trying to uh, – some I'm working on with my eyes, okay? Uh-huh. And and we had a – she's just super cordial, very nice. We had a real good conversation and then about all the business stuff. And at the end, I said, uh-huh. well, let me ask you, Shelly. I want to ask you a couple of questions. And I ask her, this way I start anymore. You've been asked all your life, are you a citizen of the United States or are you a resident? And how have you always answered those? Obviously, everybody says yes. And they go, well, let me tell you and show you what they're really asking you. You know, are you related to black slaves who received federal citizenship with civil rights after the Civil War? She goes, no. Okay. Boy, that, listen, that approach right out the front with the consent linchpin gets people's attention. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. Because they see right there they've been fooled. All right. So anyway, that was uh, it was interesting. Repeat to me.
1: that. Repeat that again, Roger.
0: Okay. Well, I ask first of all the for- way to set it up, Brent, is uh-huh. to say, let's see if we can get some common ground before we, oh, do, oh, you I know, see. okay. Yeah. And so let's see if I if I can get your agreement with this. There's uh-huh. only two political statuses. You're either free or you're a slave. Okay. Do you know of any more, and do you agree with that statement? Oh, yeah. Okay. You always get agreement. Okay. And so then, now you've got that, and you move forward and say, I'm going to ask you two questions that you've been asked all your life. And I I would ask you to answer them the way you've always answered them. Okay. And then you say, are you a citizen of the United States? Are you a resident? They obviously always say yes. We all have. Okay. I say, well, now let me tell you what they're really asking you. Are you related to black slaves who received civil rights and federal citizenship after the Civil War? Now, that's what they're asking you. Are you a citizen of the United States? Okay. Uh-huh. And, of course, you, you've now, not knowing what they ask you, answered yes. Now they got your consent. And that's what they're really after. Because they can't borrow it, they can't steal it, and they can't buy it. They've got to trick you into it. But they've got to have it. Okay. Or else they're open tyrants. And they, just like the Pharisees with Jesus, they don't like being exposed. Okay? Uh-huh. Common trait, thousands of years. All right. Uh-huh. And so then the residency, they, are you a resident? Well, yeah. Well, uh, what they're really asking, you know, are you a, a black slave with civil rights living in a state and requesting protection from the federal government against the actions of your state? And that's really uh-huh. what they're asking. And so, right there, you're going to know, somebody knows that they've been hoodwinked at that point, that early on in the conversation. If they're interested, they'll follow up on it. Uh-huh. So, uh, it's that simple, man. It took me 29 years to get that.
1: Well, please send me a, a, a clip of that interview. I will. Now, I've got to get out of my room post-haste okay. or get charged for another Uh-oh. day. So. Uh-oh. Okay. Yeah, so that's all right. I'm okay so far. I just need to get going but
3: i was talking well all of you go ahead yeah i sent you uh, i sent you and thanks brent i i sent you and roger uh links to those two books great you can only order you can only order the 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 book on communism by phone so i i included the phone number boy that's a powerful book
0: it's got a black cover and a picture of stalin on it or something doesn't it on the front yeah it's
3: Yeah. yeah it's yeah it's they're they're both of them extremely good reads, and the print is big. Yeah.
5: So, uh-huh.
1: <laughs> okay, Brent, you go
0: on. Get out of your room, yeah. man. We don't want you getting an extra charge. And thanks. for oh, okay. a great well, we'll show. Be talking
1: to you all. all right. Thank you so much. Well,
0: thank you, buddy. You can go be careful, okay? All we I want, we, we want thanks, you buddy. to show up next Friday, too. All right.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: Thank you. <laughs> I'll see you, Brent. Thanks, man. Uh, anybody else got any questions or comments? Hmm. Boy, I tell you, we must really do a good job here. Yeah, thank you guys so much.
4: Uh, Well, I did see Daryl pop on, and some of us are a little considerate of our other callers and don't jump in right away. Yeah. Yeah,
0: You know, I used to say I'd get on there and explain something. I'd say, okay, clear as clear or clear as mud.
3: I, I pretty much always have something to say roger but yeah, I, I agree with chris <laughs> I, I i'm gonna when that when you open that door i'm i'm inclined to let other people that want to key their mic uh, join in so yeah
5: yeah roger i found out uh, a couple of days ago that elvis presley is a lithuanian jew or was no yes sir
0: and his parents yeah. were redneck farmers up in northern Mississippi.
5: Somewhere there ended up in uh, Tupelo.
0: Manifest. Tupelo.
5: Yes.
3: Yep. He's right, Roger.
0: Is that right? Well, I, I didn't know that. That's right. Um, that,
3: is that near one below?
0: Could be. I think Tupelo's over in the north uh, north east side of Mississippi, and he went up to Memphis yep. and got his start. Now, when I was in the record business with Mercury, we signed a deal for a distribution of a couple of Black Acts out of Memphis with Jud Phillips Jr. Jud Phillips Senior is the guy that discovered Elvis. Where's that noise coming from, please? It's
5: uh, it's, it's here montana is where that noise is okay. coming from hey
3: uh also when you're speaking of elvis if you look at his mommy's grave got the star of david on.
0: is that right well there there's jewish right there but uh but yeah i actually got to go into the old sun studios where they recorded all jerry lee and all those guys and early on and quite interesting actually one of the high points got to go to the peabody wow. hotel y'all know about the peabody hotel there in memphis pretty famous place does anybody know that what it's famous for the geese the duck no they're not geese they're ducks okay at noon every day a whole i don't Uh, know how many of them 20 25 ducks mallards come out in single line and parade around the fountain in the lobby and leave (laughs) it happens every day and people go see the ducks you know
3: when i was when i was 22 years old i went to about eight of us went to memphis and in a motorhome and went through graceland and uh i i can't say it was all that memorial memorable to me but yeah um the uh, there's been this ongoing question here about the matrilineal line of whether or not you have right of return or if you're a Jew or not. So instead of patrilineal, it's matrilineal. Uh, They profess that, they hold fast to that, and you simply cannot find any better evidence that they are not of the tribes or, or of Judah uh, or judean or israel than that it's absolutely because and it's
0: right in front of people and nobody ever connects it, it
3: there. it's right it's right there because because do because uh if you are of of that tribe uh, a judean or israelite then you are of a begatting okay your lineage is of patrial and you are begatted and the Jews, it's right there in front of you, blaring like a billboard sign, neon billboard sign, that we're not, we're not who we say we are, because they follow a matrilineal lineage. So,
0: the only way you get I, into Israel I, is if your mother was a Jew. I mean, outside of being a tourist, you know.
4: That'd be the female goddess deity cult of Sumer Babal and And pharaohs what
0: what new what old testament book is i can't i never can remember is it deuteronomy or leviticus we got page after page after page so and so begat so and so begat so and so begat so and so pages of it okay every one of them are male how are jews being getting it from their mother how can they be the people of the book any of you out there They're, especially ones that are new you if you get in a discussion with anybody about that issue that's the one you bring out right there
1: it's in genesis,
5: is it yes. genesis? chapter 10 is where it brings you from noah forward
0: okay well, it just and and yet the, they they sit there and use the Torah, the first five books, as the Pentateuch, I think they call it, as the the Orthodox's Bible, and it's right there, and they still got to be mother
5: to be a Jew.
3: And they're being honest about it. Yeah, they're yeah. actually being honest about it.
5: My dad, uh, the minister. Go ahead. My sister, they're all Mennonites, and they are Judeo-Christians big time. They are New Testament Christians only. Their idea of the Old Testament is Jews have been here forever. So if you tell them, well, from Genesis forward to the second book of Kings, chapter 16, is the first time that that word was ever used, and that was describing that there was a war going on between Israel and the house of Judah. And that's where the word showed up. And it means nothing, because we are just undeserving Gentiles, former heathens. We have no bloodlines. There's nothing pure. There's nothing Adamic about us. The Jew is God. And they will not look further. They can't. I don't know why. They just can't.
0: And they're right. They've been around forever. And I'll tell you what else they are right
3: about is they've been outcasts the whole damn time.
5: (laughs) Roger, they are God.
3: The, the canaanites and the edomites have been around a long time they're right about that so well guys it was a good show yep, yep i yep. i'm
0: gonna dart out too unless anybody's got any observations questions comments or anything we need to hear now's your time okay well listen oh i need to promote this for y'all i guess monday we'll go back and dive into the tax issue okay so Monday we'll go back in, depending on how much time. If you got questions, we might can cover both systems: how it, where it came from, how it was instituted, and how it's been imposed on us. Or that may take two days. It depends on how in depth you guys want to get into it. Okay.
4: Roger, I sent you an email. Yes. Okay.
0: Yeah, I saw yeah. it. Something about Bill. I don't know who you're talking about.
4: Yes, sir. Well, no, he was on the show a couple of days
5: ago. Just check it out. You'll see.
0: All right. Okay, kids. Well, listen, uh, y'all have a great weekend, and uh, uh, we'll see what goes under the bridge. Uh, a lot, a lot of dirty water upstream. We'll see how much of it hits the bridge, and we'll look at the ones that get past it on uh, next week. Okay. So yep. good job. Thanks a lot, guys. Sure appreciate you spending time with us, and I hope you got something to ruminate on. Have a good weekend. Hey, you too, Brent. Ciao, ciao. I think chow-chow. Come here, you little thing. Here we go. All right. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Do that, do this, and we're going right in here to take this gigantic shit that the channel want to take all morning.